And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast, the archive over at investinghope.com, Podbeam, Google Play, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. You can even tell Alexa to play it uh, if you want to. So uh, we are grateful for the new year. That's right. This is the first show back. Uh, it's 2022. Crazy to believe that we are entering into another year. This is actually 25th year of Hope Resource Center. That's right. 2022 represents 25 years of Hope Resource Center. So over the next uh, 12 months, you're going to hear a lot about our 25th anniversary. We're going to talk about uh, different stories over the years. We'll have people on the show. We will also have our banquet back in person to celebrate our 25 years and to celebrate with you in person. We'll be talking more about that as we get closer to April. Today I want to talk about a couple things. I came across a story in the New York Times over the weekend that, my goodness, uh, uh, as I like to say, uh, man, does it grind my gears when I see things like this that uh, that really pro-lifers have, have, uh, have been talking about and, and sensing for a long time. And we've been called conspiracy theorists and, and a number of things. And the New York Times comes out and writes this piece and just confirms uh, really what we already knew. And so I want to go through that and, and, and talk about And then we're going to talk about a number of other things that, uh, that we'll look at coming up. But right now I want to start with the New York Times article. Uh, the, the title of the article is, When They Warn of Rare Disorders, These Prenatal Tests Are Usually Wrong. Some of the tests look for missing snippets of chromosomes. For every 15 times they correctly find a problem, they are wrong 85 times. After a year of fertility treatments, uh, Yale Geller was thrilled when she found out she was pregnant in November 2020. Following a normal ultrasound, she was confident enough to tell her three-year-old son his brother or sister was in her belly. But a few weeks later, as she was driving her son home from school, her doctor's office called. A prenatal blood test indicated her fetus might be missing part of a chromosome, which could lead to serious ailments and mental illness. Sitting on the couch that evening with her husband, she cried as she explained they might be facing a decision on terminating the pregnancy. He sat quietly with the news. How is this happening to me? Miss Geller, 32, recalled thinking. The next day, doctors used a long, painful needle to retrieve a small piece of her placenta. It was tested and showed the initial result was wrong. She now has a six-month-old, Emmanuel, who shows no signs of the condition he screened positive for. Ms. Geller had been misled by a wondrous promise that Silicon Valley has made to expectant mothers, that a few vials of their blood, or a few vials of their blood drawn in the first trimester can allow companies to detect serious developmental problems in the DNA of the fetus with remarkable accuracy. In just over a decade, the tests have gone from laboratory experiments to an industry that serves more than a third of the pregnant women in America, luring major companies like LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics into the business, alongside many startups. The test initially looked for Down syndrome and worked very well, but as manufacturers tried to outsell each other, they began offering additional screenings for increasingly rare conditions. The grade predictions made by those newer tests are usually wrong, an examination by the New York Times has found. That includes the screening that came back positive for Ms. Geller, 
which looks for Prader-Willi syndrome, a condition that offers little chance of living independently as an adult. Studies have found its positive results. Listen to this. Studies have found its positive results are incorrect more than 90% of the time. Nonetheless, on product brochures and test result sheets, companies describe the test to pregnant women and their doctors as near certain. It's wrong 90% of the time, and their marketing materials say that the test is near certain. They advertise their findings as, quote, reliable and highly accurate, offering total confidence and peace of mind for patients who want to know as much as possible. Some of the companies offer tests without publishing any data on how well they perform or point to numbers for their best screenings while leaving out weaker ones. Others base their claims on studies in which only one or two pregnancy actually had the condition in question. These aren't the first Silicon Valley firms to try to build a business around blood tests. Years before the first prenatal testing company opened, another startup, Theranos, you might have seen their documentary, made claims that it could run more than a thousand tests on a tiny blood sample before it collapsed amid allegations of fraud. In contrast with Theranos, the science behind these companies' ability to test blood for common disorders is not in question. Experts say it has revolutionized Down syndrome screening, significantly reducing the need for riskier tests. However, the same technology, known as Non-invasive prenatal testing, testing performs much worse when it looks for less common conditions. Most are caused by small missing pieces of chromosomes called microdeleticians. Others stem from missing or extra copies of entire chromosome. They can have a wide range of symptoms, including intellectual disability, heart defects, a shortened lifespan, or a high infant mortality rate. Not every patient is screened for every condition. Doctors decide what to order, and most companies sell... Testing is an optional add-on to the Down syndrome screening. Most test makers don't say often their tests are being performed. Now, I remember when my wife was pregnant, I was very adamant we weren't going to have any of those tests run. Uh, Now, I was aggressive in in saying that because I was young and wanted everybody to know I was pro-life and it didn't matter what any test would say. We were going to keep the baby and parent the baby. But now that I read this article, now that I see what these tests are doing, am I glad I did that? My goodness. I mean, think about the, the, the anxiety that that's going to bring on someone because some test says comes up positive, And then when you go in further and look at it again, it's negative. When these tests are negative most of the time, they're actually wrong most of the time. But it is clear some of the tests are in widespread use. One large test maker said that in 2020 it performed more than 400,000 screenings, the equivalent of testing roughly 10% of pregnant women in America. To evaluate the newer test, the Times interviewed researchers and then combined data from multiple studies to produce the best estimates available of how well the five most common tests perform. The analysis, analysis showed that positive results on those tests are incorrect. Are you ready? The positive results on those tests are incorrect about 85% of the time. For these five tests, positive results are often wrong. As prenatal tests have expanded to more rare conditions, a larger share of their positive results are incorrect. Some of the worst performing tests look for um, microdeleations, which are small missing snippets of chromosomes. The DeGeorge syndrome, that test is 81% wrong. 
and it affects 1 in 4,000 births. 1P36 deletion, it's 84% wrong. Credu chat syndrome, 80% wrong. Prater-Willie and Engelman syndromes, 93% wrong. Experts say there is no single threshold for how often a test needs to get positive results right to be worth offering. They note that when the tests do accurately identify an abnormality, it can give expectant parents time to learn about and prepare for challenges to come. Some said one common microdeliation screening for a condition called DeGeorge syndrome has the most potential to do good. But there are hundreds of microdeliation syndromes, and the most expensive tests look for between 5 and 7, meaning women shouldn't take a negative result as proof their baby doesn't have a genetic disorder. For patients who are especially worried, obstetricians who study these screenings currently recommend other types of testing, which come with a small risk of miscarriage but are more reliable. Some said the blood screenings that look for the rarest conditions are good for little more than bolstering testing companies' bottom lines. It's a little like running mammograms on kids, said Mary Norton, an obstetrician and uh, geneticist at the University of California. The chance of breast cancer is so low, so why are you doing it? I think it's purely a marketing thing. There are a few restrictions on what test makers can offer. The FDA often requires evaluations of how frequently other consequential medical tests are right and whether shortfalls are clearly explained to patients and doctors. But the FDA does not regulate this type of test. Alberto Gutierrez, the former director of the FDA office that oversees many medical tests, reviewed marketing materials from three testing companies and described them as, quote, problematic. I think the information they provide is misleading, he said. Patients who receive positive results are supposed to pursue follow-up testing which often requires a drawing of amniotic fluid or sample of placental tissue. Those tests can cost thousands of dollars, come with a small risk of miscarriage, and can't be performed until later in pregnancy. In some states, past the point where abortions are illegal. So think about what they're doing. Hey, we'll, we'll provide this test. Now, granted, it's close to 90% wrong. It's close to being wrong 90% of the time. And to do a follow-up test, you've got to pay thousands of dollars out of your own pocket. And that follow-up test may cause a miscarriage of a healthy baby. But then you'll know. What are we doing here, folks? What are we doing? I mean, there, there are women that had abortions because of these tests that were wrong. The companies have known for years that the follow-up testing doesn't always happen. A 2014 study found that 6% of patients who screen positive obtained an abortion without getting another test to confirm the result. 6% got an abortion without confirming the result of that test. That same year, the Boston Globe quoted a doctor describing three terminations following unconfirmed positive results. Three geneticists recounted more recent examples in interviews with the Times. One described a case in which the follow-up testing revealed the fetus was healthy, but by the time the results came, the patient had already ended her pregnancy. Completely healthy baby. After being presented with some of the Times reporting, half a dozen of the largest prenatal testing companies declined interview requests. Imagine that. They issued written statements that said patients should always review results with the doctor and cautioned that the tests are meant not to diagnose the condition, but rather to identify high-risk patients in need of additional testing. That's a marketing thing. This is about making money. That is why they are providing these tests. In interviews, 14 patients who got false positives said the experience was agonizing. 
They recalled frantically researching conditions they never heard of, followed by sleepless nights and days hiding their bulging bellies from friends. Eight said they never received any information about the possibility of a false positive. And five recalled that the doctor, uh, that their doctor treated the test result as definitive. So that means that five of the 14 had that meeting with their doctor and the doctor didn't even recommend having a follow-up test. That the original test was definitive. When the original tests are wrong 90% of the time. When Meredith Bannon's pregnancy tested positive for DeGeorge syndrome, a nurse called and told her she and her husband would soon face, quote, tough decisions related to their child's quality of life, which Ms. Bannon took to mean a choice about whether to end the pregnancy. The call came as Ms. Bannon was driving to her parents' house with her son in the back seat wearing a, quote, Big Brother t-shirt. Ms. Bannon said, I was coming home to tell them that I was pregnant. But instead, I had to tell them the news I got this horrible result back. Further testing revealed that the result was wrong. Her baby is due in April. Some women began tentatively planning abortions after receiving positive screenings. I couldn't help but have termination on my mind, said Allison, 33, whose screening incorrectly indicated her baby might have Turner syndrome, which can cause infertility and heart defects. Studies show that the test positive results are wrong 74% of the time. She lived in Indiana at the time and recalled scrambling to arrange follow-up testing before the state's 22-week abortion ban. Between 2011 and 13, a small Silicon Valley-based biotech company tripled in size. The key to its success? A new prenatal screening test that did remarkably well at detecting Down syndrome. Older screening tests took months and required multiple blood tests. This new one generated fewer false positives with a single blood draw. The test could also determine the sex of a fetus. It quickly became a hit. Quote, you had, a people, you had people walking in saying, I want this sex test, recalled the doctor. Competitors began launching their own tests. Today, analysts estimate uh, of the market size range from $600 million into the billions, and the number of women taking these tests is expected to double by 2025. So from 400,000 to 800,000 pregnant women will be taking these tests. The tests that are wrong almost 90% of the time. We'll continue this conversation when we come back. Take me right back to the track. Jack, choo-choo, choo-choo, So as we continue the conversation, we're looking at a New York Times investigation concerning these prenatal tests that are wrong close to 90% of the time. And and they're not stopping. These tests are, are, uh, were created in Silicon Valley. Uh, these tech folks believe this is the answer to everything. And, uh, and it's interesting to me, the eugenics mindset behind this. What, what's the goal here? What's the goal? To only have babies that have no issues? Is that the goal? Well, well that kind of sounds like you, you, you're weeding out the bad ones. I mean, what's the goal here? I talked to a lady over the weekend. I was speaking at Calvary Chapel, and she was talking about her baby. Uh, her child has Down syndrome. And, and she had that child when she was 17. And she said, anyone that meets my child falls in love. You see, these tech companies would say, you don't want a Down syndrome child. You know, we need to know that so you can end the pregnancy. The last thing you want is that child. 
Yet every parent I talk to that has one talks about how loving and wonderful they are. That doesn't mean it doesn't have its issues. It doesn't mean that that parenting that child isn't tough. Let's be real. Parenting any child is tough, healthy or not. But but what's the goal of Silicon Valley? I mean, are are they trying to create some kind of perfect race? Are they trying to only make sure perfect humans are born with no defects, no abnormalities? Why why else would they want to test for these very 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 rare conditions, where they're telling women and some doctors in in these cases are telling women they don't even have to have a follow up test. That these prenatal screenings are definitive. When in reality, these prenatal screenings are wrong close to 90% of the time. The Times continues, as companies begin looking for ways to differentiate their products, many decided to start screening for more and rarer disorders. All the screenings could run on the same blood draw, and doctors already order many tests during short prenatal care visits, meaning some probably thought little of tracking or attacking on a few more. For the testing company, however, adding microdeliations can double what an insurer pays, from an average of $695 for the basic test to $1,349 for the expanded panel, according to the health data company Concert Genetics. Patients whose insurance didn't fully cover the test describing being billed wildly different figures, ranging from a few hundred to thousands of dollars. But these conditions were so rare that there were few instances for the test to find. Take Natera, which ran 400,000 tests in 2020 for DeGeorge syndrome, a disorder associated with heart defects and intellectual disability. The 400 tests would be expected to identify about 200 actual cases of the disorder. So out of the 400,000 tests, it would expect to identify about 200 actual cases of the disorder. Natera claims that its latest algorithm would identify about an equal number of false positives. That's a lot better than the company has been able to do in a clinical trial. Those numbers suggest there would be three times as many false positives as actual cases. At least 6% of the tests include the full panel of microdeliations. Those would be expected to find about eight true positives in between 17 and 134 false ones. Natera declined an interview request after the Times presented its reporting. Imagine that. These Silicon Valley tech companies who stand behind their work. Our brochures are accurate. Our tests are amazing. We're changing the world. Oh, we don't want to interview. We don't want to be interviewed about it, though. If they believed in what they were doing, why would they not be interviewed? It's because they know the numbers don't match. They got shareholders to answer to. The Times presented its reporting and Natera declined an interview. In statements, it said that the early detection of the George syndrome can profoundly improve patient outcomes and stressed how infrequently it identifies some of the other conditions. It said the screening that gave a false positive for Prader-Willi syndrome is Miss Geller's pregnancy, uh, for example, had returned positive results only 113 times since 2015. It pointed to its recent study of 20,000 pregnant women that found the condition to occur in 1 in 1,600 births, twice as common as other estimates. The company offers free genetic counseling to patients who screen positive. Natera also publishes data on how often it is positive results are right and includes that information on patient results sheets. 
Other companies release little information about how many tests they sell and far less research on how well their screenings work. Myriad's Genetics Prenatal Test Prequel offers five microdeletion uh, deletion screenings, even though its study on the test includes just two confirmed cases. Uh, in a statement, Myriad estimated that only one in 9,000 of its patients screen positive for microdeletion. It said its data showed a very small fraction of those are wrong, but declined to provide specific figures. Some companies test for conditions so rare that there are few known examples for comparison. Both LabCorp, which purchased uh, Sequinom, and Myriad Genetics offer screenings for one disorder that is so rare its prevalence is unknown, and another called Jacobson Syndrome that affects one in 100,000 births. Dr. Diana Bianchi runs a National Institute of Health laboratory studying prenatal blood screening. She said of Jacobson syndrome, I've never seen a case of that in my 20 plus years of practicing genetics. Here's why a test that works well for Down syndrome can be much less useful for rarer conditions. If 20,000 women take a test of the same quality as the better prenatal blood screenings, there would be about 20 false positives. And if the test is screening pregnant women in their late 30s for Down syndrome, it would identify about 100 real cases. The George syndrome is 20 times as rare. An equally good test would get a similar number of false positives, but it would find only five actual cases. And Prader-Willi syndrome is even more rare. That test would be expected to find one case. The positive results would be wrong 95% of the time. Those shortfalls are rarely referenced when companies explain the test to doctors and patients. A LabCorp lab report tells patients the test detected a problem, even though most studies show positives on that screening are usually wrong. Myriad Genetics advertised, quote, total confidence in every result, end quote, on its prenatal testing website, but said nothing about how often false positives can occur. After the Times inquired about these tests, Myriad took down that language. The Times reviewed 17 patient and doctor brochures from eight of the testing companies, including the Terra, LabCorp, Quest, and smaller competitors. Ten of the brochures never mention that a false positive can happen. These tests are wrong close to 90% of the time. And not one mention in any of the publications, not one mention of false positives. Only one mention how often each test gets positive results wrong. Genetic counselors who have dealt with false positives say some doctors may not understand how poorly the tests work. And even when caregivers do correctly interpret the information, patients may still be inclined to believe the confident-sounding results sheet. When Chloe Kanata, 25, got a positive result on one of these tests, the results sheet seemed clear. It said her daughter had a greater than 99 out of 100 probability of being born with a certain type of syndrome a condition that babies often do not survive beyond a week. Her obstetrician tried to reassure her, citing independent data showed that for a woman her age, 93% of positives turn out to be wrong. But this lady couldn't stop thinking about the results sheet. She recalls crying during an ultrasound, thinking it was one of the few times she would see her child moving. After spending $1,200 on follow-up tests, she learned that her pregnancy was healthy and that her daughter would not be born with this syndrome. She is now in her third trimester. I wish we would have been informed of the false positive rate before I agreed to the test, she said. I was given zero information about that. Three experts reviewed marketing materials and results sheets for the Times and identified obvious reasons a patient would be confused. 
These numbers are meaningless, said Mr. Gutierrez, Gutierrez, the former FDA official, after reviewing the advertisement for the Quest Diagnostic Advanced Test. And it goes on and on and on. Look, the reality is some tests are needed. You know, if you want peace of mind and you want to you get these prenatal tests, that's fine. But it's not asking a lot that they would be a little bit more accurate than wrong 90% of the time. And if they're wrong 90% of the time, these companies should be held accountable and they should, at the very least, put it in their brochures. In big, bold letter, hey, you know, you're going to take this test 90% of the time, it's wrong. We'll talk more when we come back. So as the conversation continues, I highly recommend you go find that article over at the New York Times. It, it is uh, eye-opening. It's shocking. I, 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 you know, I had a number of reasons why I didn't want, and my wife uh, as well, why we didn't want the the prenatal test done on our children. I mean, we were gonna we were gonna have the baby no matter what. Uh, that was the plan. Uh, there was never even any question. We, you know, it didn't matter what a test was gonna say. We weren't going to. Uh, you know, terminate the pregnancy regardless. Um, and, and, in, in, and I've heard a lot of folks talk. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of uh, dads and moms that are much older than me who have said, look, our doctor told us we were going to have to have an abortion. Our doctors told us through prenatal screenings that our kid had this or that, and it turned out to be wrong. And so we just didn't want to put ourselves through that anxiety. I mean, you're already... Facing a pregnancy, you already have anxiety. You know, that next appointment, is the heartbeat still still there? Is the baby still alive? Or is the pregnancy going smooth? Is the umbilical cord where it needs to be? Like, all these things. Is the baby facing the right way? All these things, you already have enough anxiety uh, going through that. You don't need to add a prenatal test on to that, that that's 90% or that's wrong 90% of the time. It's just going to bring about more anxiety. And my heart breaks for women and families that took those tests at face value and then aborted their healthy child. I believe abortion is wrong no matter what. But my heart breaks for women that thought they were making the right decision based on a test that is wrong 90% of the time. These are women that wanted wanted their children. But they thought in that moment in time they they were not going to have a healthy baby that their baby was going to die soon after the birth or, or even die before delivery. So in their mind at that time, they were making the, the right decision. And then come to find out those prenatal tests were wrong. Folks, the, the New York Times is not a pro-life conservative entity. And why did it take the New York Times to do this investigation? I'm grateful they're holding these companies to the carpet. I'm grateful they're holding them accountable. I'm grateful that they're writing this. I hope millions of people read this article. I hope doctors read this article. I hope LabCorp and them take a look at this article. I hope everybody looks at this article and goes, oh, oh what, are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, the debacle that is Theranos should have should make us look at everything that's coming out of Silicon Valley when it comes to, to biotech 
and, and say, is this the right direction or not? What's the goal? What's the why? Are they looking to, to please their shareholders or actually help people? And with Theranos, it was clear. It was to please the shareholders. Because their science was junk. Their machine was junk. And now we got prenatal tests that, that are wrong 90% of the time. Yet all their marketing material says it's great. And then they're just going in, quietly editing their website and, and taking things away because New York Times said this. So we're going to just omit this part and you'll never know it was there. Yeah, we should be concerned about that. Now I want to shift gears a little bit to a, a piece over at National Review talking about uh, abortion and men. And, and this is a this is a topic that doesn't get discussed enough, and it's talking about how men abuse abortion, and that cowardly men love abortion. The piece says this. Back in December, a young man by the name of Kavion Shroff published an article entitled, quote, Men Like Me Benefit from Safe Abortion Access. By men like me, Shroff clearly means successful men, men who are too busy doing important things to care about any aspect of their sexual activity other than enjoyment, let alone take responsibility for it. Thanks to abortion, neither the needs and desires of the woman involved nor the life of the child who might come into being must enter his calculation. According to his lengthy bio, Shroff is very important. He's a senior advisor to D.C. nonprofit, the Institute for Education, a self-described, quote, political commentator and a former staffer for Hillary Clinton's campaign dig campaign's digital team. Not to mention he has an MBA from Yale and a BA from Brown. And as he informs us in the first paragraph of his article, he is about to graduate from law school, after which point he'll become a public interest lawyer. He certainly doesn't need a child to complicate all of that success. In many ways, Shroff tells us, it feels like my life is just about to begin. It would be a terrible time to have a baby. He wants to have kids someday, of course. He's not a monster. In fact, he can't imagine not getting to experience fatherhood, but he's not in a relationship. He has no nest egg prepared, and after suffering through the pandemic, he's ready to eke out and enjoy every last minute of his 20s. So while he's busy sowing his wild oats, any children he happens to father will just have to meet their untimely end, at least until the time is right for him. As it turns out, Shroff is hardly the first man to discover that he might benefit from legal abortion. In the telling of some feminists, abortion is in fact a boon to cowardly, irresponsible men, not a boon to women for all the talk of women's rights and women's bodily autonomy. Quote, abortion restrictions do not deny sexual and reproductive autonomy to women. Reality does, writes legal scholar Erica uh, Bacacci, while pregnant, a woman is carrying a new and vulnerable human being within her. Unlike a bio biological father, a pregnant woman cannot just walk away. To approach the desired autonomy of the child-abandoning man, a pregnant woman must engage in a life-destroying act. Or, as radical feminist Catherine Mc McKinnon put it in the context of male sexual aggression, quote, so long as women do not control access to our sexuality, Abortion facilitates women's heterosexual availability. Sex doesn't look a whole lot like freedom when it appears normatively less costly for women to risk an undesired, often painful, traumatic, dangerous, sometimes illegal, and potentially life-threatening procedure than to protect themselves in advance by resisting sex. Abortion, in other words, facilitates the sexual desires of men. 
and facilitates the desire of cowardly, irresponsible men to abandon their unborn child and their child's mother, while encouraging women to, quote, free themselves from the tyranny of their biology by committing an act of violence against their unborn child. Perhaps we should admire Schroff for being willing to admit that men like him benefit from abortion, that he favors abortion rights for some reason other than pure uh, pure manhood toward the women around him. But what he doesn't acknowledge is that abortion isn't cost-free, that while it enables him to walk away from sex with nary a consequence, it requires much of women, much that doesn't set them free at all. You know what? I, the fact that a man could write that, now, now, what I just read to you was not written by a man, but the article referenced was written by a man. And the fact that a man could write that, that he's successful and he's got his degrees and he's got big plans and he wants to enjoy the rest of his 20s, he calls that success. I call that sad. I got married when I was 22, not because my girlfriend was pregnant, but because we wanted to get married. Had my first child at 27. So I ended my 20s as a dad. And I've had four kids. My wife's been pregnant five times, had a miscarriage between, or had a miscarriage after our first child was born. And so, yeah, this dude may have an MBA and he may be about to finish law school and he has big plans and and a baby would just weigh him down. But he's no man. He's a boy. He's a boy chasing boy, boyhood dreams. He's a boy that doesn't want to be held accountable. He's a boy that doesn't want to be held responsible. He's a boy that doesn't want any responsibilities. He wants to live his life selfishly. And then say, oh, I'll have kids one day. I can't imagine not being a father. I mean, think of the, the pride in that, that he thinks it's just going to happen one day. But listen to what he's saying. He's saying that I'm pro-abortion because it allows me to live my life. It allows me to not be a dad. It allows me not to pay child support. It allows me to go and live it up in my 20s. It's sad. That's what that is. You know, everybody that's walking this planet, somebody gave birth to them, whether they wanted them or not. So we're making decisions today because we got a chance at life. I talked to a little boy over the weekend at a church I was speaking at. He came up to me and uh, real nice, well-spoken, 13 years old, a little small for his age. He looked at me and he said, I just wanted you to know I appreciate what y'all do at Hope. I said, thanks, man. I, I'm glad you feel that way. And he looked up at me and he said, I'm adopted. I said, really? He said, yeah, my mom was a drug addict. And she was not a good mom. I said, when were you adopted? He said, around 2009, the cops found me. 
See, some would say that little boy's life didn't matter. And it would have been best that, that he just been aborted instead of being born to a drug-addicted mother that didn't love him and that was going to leave him somewhere where the cops would find him. But that little boy looked at me and said, is there any way a 13-year-old can come help what y'all do? I really love what y'all do. You see, that kid's a blessing. Being a dad is a blessing. And so if you find yourself out there and you're a man listening to this and you find yourself out there going, you know what, I'm kind of okay with abortion because it allows me to live, your, live my life. I'm going to tell you right now you're a coward and you're selfish. There's nothing greater. I've been called a lot of things. There's nothing greater than being called daddy. I can assure you. Step up and be a man. And I'm going to wager that most people listening to this show have done that and are willing to do that over and over and over again. And my hat's off to you. we got a lot of work to do in our culture. Let's pray for it. We'll be back. I'm already there. Take a look around. I'm the sunshine in your hair. I'm the so some may think that last uh, segment was a bit harsh. But look... We, we can't be passive and cowardly when it comes to life. If I have one son and three daughters, if my son one day looked at me and said, you know what, Daddy, like, I'm, I'm for abortion because if I get a girl pregnant, it's just going to, I'm going to have to pump the brakes on everything. I'm not going to be able to achieve this or achieve that. I, I won't be able to live the rest of my 20s and have fun and blah, blah, blah. I, I'm going to think, what? where did I go wrong here? It's cowardly. And I get it. There's a lot of folks that take take shots at men for a lot of things. But that deserves it right there. That, I mean, that, that article by that fellow that, that is saying, I want to live the rest of my 20s out without being bogged down with a kid, that's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah, being a dad's hard. Being a dad in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, it's hard. But most good things in life are hard. They're difficult. They bring about struggle. Wouldn't change any of it. I have my moments where I butt heads with my kids and and I'm like, what is going on? But I wouldn't trade any of it. So be, be praying for our culture. But, but this is what we get. This is what ultimate feminism gets. Is they empower men like that. We need to be holding them accountable. We need to be calling them to something greater. Because guess what, folks? You can achieve your dreams and have babies. You can do both. Don't have to pick one over the other. Sound like a broken record, but come on, man. We can do both. As I said earlier, 2022 is the 25th year anniversary for Hope Resource Center. There's no doubt in my mind that the founders of Hope back in 1997 had a desire for longevity for this organization, a longevity that would have Hope 
reach far and beyond Painter Avenue as we serve women from Knoxville and surrounding areas. There's something special about all anniversaries, but 25 years of hope just seems extra special as we reflect on all God has done through this organization, our services, and through partners like you listening. This longevity is a testament to your kindness, God's graciousness, and hope's consistency to serve those in need. Thank you for making 25 years possible and for helping us celebrate this milestone throughout 2022. And you can go to investinghope.com and learn more. We're going to, again, we're going to be sharing stories throughout the year. Looking forward to our banquet in April. Uh, being back in person after two years of a virtual event. Can't wait for that. It's going to be great. Can't wait to share story after story with you. Look, I think 2022 is going to be one of the biggest years at Hope. I mean, if you didn't hear the news, one of the major abortion clinics here in Knoxville burned down just the other day. What that means is there's one less place for abortions in the city of Knoxville. What that means is there's going to be women facing unplanned pregnancy needing help, needing assistance. Catholic Charities, their, their uh, building burned a few weeks back. There are women in our community in need, and Hope's doors are open, ready to meet those needs. Providing pregnancy tests, ultrasounds. STD testing and treatment, well-woman care, parenting education, mentoring, baby showers for first-time moms. All that is going on on Painter Avenue in Knoxville. It's going to keep going on. We're going to celebrate 25 years and move on to 26 and 27 and 28 and 29 and 30. And as long as the good Lord allows us, we're going to keep serving this community. Again, we... We can get and we can rant and rave about a number of things. And certainly there's a lot of reason to rant and rave about some things that are going on in our culture. But we must be doing more than ranting and raving. Are we giving? Are we praying? Are we volunteering? Are we serving? Let's be a part of what God has for us in the new year. We'd welcome it. Learn more about Hope Resource Center at investinghope.com. You can listen to this show and others there as well. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you next week.